Oh, this is going to be lively. We already have the assholes from Canada uh, in the chat. Um, it's 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 a sour time of year for our northern neighbors. It's when they're reminded that they haven't won a Stanley Cup in almost 30 years. Hey, everyone. It's episode 97. Full court press. Um, a lot going on. And I know that this also carries over from last week uh, with the Discord leaks is um, I kept trying to schedule time and then when I was going to have one on Saturday, I just came down with a crud a little bit. So a lot going on, but I wanted to at least go in and kind of uh, based on today's podcast, kind of what we saw um, earlier this week and what people I'm just I kind of today's podcast was more based on feedback. I'm hearing that uh, the 2024 primary is over. Uh, the media is all in on this, and it's going to make sure it doesn't happen. And I kind of uh, try to be the voice that says you need to take a breath and calm down. Uh, it's still April of 2023. And so nobody cares about basketball. Um, and so what what do I mean by this? Well, if you're on the Twitter webs like I am, or if you just go to MSNBC, or if you go to CNN, or what have you, um, you're seeing a deluge and almost like a tidal wave of bad press aimed at the Florida governor. Uh, shortly before I came on here, uh, Donald Trump himself basically recorded a message telling Ron DeSantis to stay out of the race. And in my life, I have never seen this dynamic. I have never seen a declared presidential candidate spend weeks uh, basically just shelling someone who is not a declared candidate. And as I said before, to me, that looks like a, a point of weakness and what you have is our media attempting to turn this into a point of strength. And so how this strategy is being deployed, and it's very simple if you see it for what it is, um, which is that here's a ton of bad headlines. And then following up bad headlines, it's, wow, look at all the bad media this person's getting. And uh, that's obviously also enabled by Trump himself, who's then using this bad media to say, hey, look, this, this race is over with already. And so you have to understand the multiple interests that people have uh, in deploying the strategy. I noted that uh, Sarah Longwell, who's a publisher of The Bulwark, who is still called a Republican strategist uh, by DC media, um, has noted that several, you know, he's, he's hurt himself, he's too extreme, he's doing this stuff. And you have to understand the interest that Sarah Longwell uh, has in making sure that Donald Trump is once again the Republican nominee. Now, none of this is to suggest that that won't happen anyway. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything is rosy or what have you. What I'm simply alerting you to is the strategy that is being deployed by several fronts. And then you have to ask why it is, why is that happening? And I noted that Matt Lewis of the Daily Beast and also longtime supposed stalwart conservative columnist uh, kind of gave the entire game away by basically saying that the GOP will only be rebuilt once Trump loses another general election. And the only way for that to happen is to make sure that he gets the Republican nomination for president. And Matt Lewis is a D.C. conservative. He's a guy who runs in the circles of Sarah Longwell and the Bulwark and Meet the Press and those people. And therefore, he's kind of out here uh, blabbermouthing what the strategy is. And so once you put all of that together and you see what is happening, you can start to understand why you think that all you're seeing lately uh, about the Florida governor is just bad headline after bad headline. Oh, he fucked up the abortion thing. Oh, he's fucking up with Disney. Oh, he's fucking up with the, the so-called don't say. 
and you're seeing story after story after story after story. And once you realize that there's an agenda here and that 98% of our media is not only, again, you know, pro-gun control, pro, you know, pro-choice, then you understand why they're sitting here trying to say, don't, don't, he's too extreme, he's too extreme, like this, while basically saying at the same time that Trump is a unique threat to the country not seen since the Civil War. They're attempting to have it both ways. And the only thing that I can really do is make you aware of it. So when you see this happening and you understand what's happening, you understand what they're, why they're doing it, um, it's because there is an agenda here. It's because they think they have a blueprint um, that if we elevate the kookiest, craziest candidate, which is once again Donald Trump, he will lose to an 82, 83-year-old Joe Biden who will probably die or resign halfway through his second term, in which case we get uh, Kamala Harris as our first equity president. And so that was kind of the topic today of, of uh, the podcast. I went into what you're seeing, especially in the realm of corporate media conservatives. And what do I mean by that? I'm talking about the guys who spend more time talking to Chuck Todd on Meet the Press than they do actual Republican voters. So who am I talking about there? Well, there's three big ones. There's uh, Larry Hogan, who is bad out of the race. There's Chris Sununu, who is still entertaining it, but looks like he's probably not going to run either. And then there's Chris Christie. And Chris Christie is a fascinating case to me uh, because this was a guy who uh, he rose to prominence doing the exact same things Ron DeSantis did, which is kind of hitting the media over the head when they deserve it, talking about tough policy and not being bullied by it. And then, of course, he turned into Trump's personal lapdog. And now he found himself out of a job because he was clearly angling for attorney general in a Trump administration. As I noted, uh, Trump could have gone with Christie or he could have gone with Jared Kushner, but he couldn't do both. And you need to go Google the history of the Kushner family with Chris Christie. And that has everything to do with it. So Christie kind of found himself out in the wild. He sacrificed all of his professional conservative credibility for Trump um, after, of course, knifing Rubio on stage. And uh, Rubio certainly could have handled that better. But then Christie found himself out in the wild. So what does he do? He turns to ABC News, where he becomes a paid contributor and n almost nobody. And I think that Chris Christie is really underappreciated for that kind of gimp transformation that he took. Um, by basically uh, castrating himself and handing his balls over to George Stephanopoulos in a jar. Because that's what he did. Um, he went from being kind of the toughest guy in the media to, ooh, this is the guy we want in 2012, to just being the guy who now sits across from George Stephanopoulos as the good corporate conservative. It would almost be like if in five, six, seven years from now, uh, let's say Ron DeSantis loses a nomination and he doesn't, and he obviously I think he's termed out in 2026. He goes and becomes a meet the press contributor. That's what it was like. If you look at Chris Christie today and see so if Chris Christie out here talking to semaphore media, he talks to NBC news. You have Chris Sununu talking to CNN and NBC news. And these are people who spend the majority of their time now in Washington, DC sitting in green rooms of corporate media outlets and not really talking about, um, or talking to voters or the issues that they care about. And so uh, the interesting thing about it that, that hasn't gotten enough mentions, at least I think, is that Chris Christie is out here hitting DeSantis on Disney when Chris Christie is a paid employee of Disney. Uh, he's a guy who's paid by ABC News, which is an own subsidiary of the Disney Corporation. And so I don't think that this gets enough play, and I really hope that someone of note brings that up. 
So just a few topics to get it going. Like I said, I'm starting to see kind of this thing where all oh, the races over oh, the Trumps and I'm sitting here telling you nothing is really over yet uh, because DeSantis has yet to go on offense. And when he does that, that'll be real telling. Uh, and so until then, people uh, calm your shit, I guess, should be the message. We also had last week the Discord leaks, which um, I thought was interesting and I talked about on the podcast at length. But if you notice, this kid was apprehended. Um, I mean, he's a guy. He's 21 years old. Um, he's apprehended. He's being charged. And in the meantime, uh, media outlets are now covering what was leaked, but they're covering it in a way where they're framing it um, how they think it should be framed. So you had the Washington Post do an exclusive, here's what's in these documents. And then you had the New York Times do an exclusive. So this kid leaks all of this stuff on Discord. He's going to jail. And no, that's not a defense of him. Um, but now you have media outlets taking what he leaked and saying, oh, this is all newsworthy. And it's a problem of ethics again in media where um, either it's newsworthy or it's not. And if it's newsworthy, then so is the person who leaked it. Uh, we also have, as I was just kind of getting ready to come on tonight, uh, a pretty big or possibly big bombshell that we have an IRS whistleblower who was a supervisory agent of the IRS um, who was handling a high-profile high case, which his attorney isn't saying who, uh, although they think that based on this, his history that this is to do with Hunter Biden. And he's basically asking Congress for whistleblower protection, stating he has proof um, that Hunter Biden is, is receiving uh, preferential treatment through the Department of Justice. And he can also prove one high-ranking administration official lied under oath in how they were treating this case. And that is believed to be Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, this is something that just broke. CBS News is the only other outlet covering it. Um, what's her name? Marino or Kelly O'Donnell, I believe, uh, covered it in the evening news. Catherine Harridge is covering it, but it's, of course, not getting any traction. So you can probably expect, like, another Trump indictment to come down here in the next week to get uh, attention off of that. But should this actually uh, be the case, this is going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and I have no doubt that Tim Jordan, the GOP, would rather grandstand than get to the truth of this and possibly get a special counsel. So those are all some things going on. Um, and again, uh, we can go to the topics of the podcast. And like I said, I know I haven't been here for a while, I think since last Monday. So a lot's happened. So feel free to queue up and uh, jump in. We'll probably go for about an hour or so um, just because it's middle of the week. Also, we will uh, do this probably again on Friday to just wrap the week up. We also had Fetterman come back to the Senate, which was a disaster, of course. And so a lot going on. So uh, I'm probably just going to jump in order here. A few things to remind you, and I kind of have something else new to note. Um, if you are speaking, just make sure that if you're in, if you're on the call queue to just keep your microphone muted. Uh, it just makes it easier for the audience. It makes it easier for me to focus just to kill any background noise. And it also makes for a better uh, recording. As I noted, these are recorded. You can go back and listen to them all. I don't edit out content. Uh, I do it pretty rough here. So just something to keep in mind. Another thing, uh, just uh, try to stay on topic and keep your point short. Just be mindful of other people in the queue. And I know some people run longer than others, and that just happens with the conversation, and that's understandable. Um, the other thing I want to note, just to kind of keep things at a pace, is uh, we have a lot of, like, regulars uh, here, and, and I like hearing from them, and I like seeing them come back because it's great. Um, if you if you have kind of like a, a longer personal story or something like that, I would I, I would ask that maybe just share that with the people in the room 
um, as opposed to doing it like on the air, just so we kind of keep a good pace going. We keep it moving and um, we can just get everybody in. It just it makes it easier for the recording. And so um, a lot of people come in here, they share like personal stories and that's great. And, we, and I, I don't mind hearing them. But um, if you have something that's not kind of pertaining to the topic at hand, I would advise to just do it in comments and uh, and do it that way. So that's just a way to kind of keep things moving, keep the episodes interesting, because people do try to go back and listen to these. And so we, we kind of want to maintain some stupid level of professionalism. Um, but that's all. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, I don't see anybody back there. We'll go. We'll probably just go in order here. And uh, we'll go until either a little bit over an hour or we'll go until we run out of callers either way. But uh, go ahead. Hey, uh, so just finished listening to the podcast. and I'm glad you brought up the Christie thing because it's been bothering me all day. Um, Christie did a special like appearance on the Ruthless podcast. Yeah, I'm getting this one put at me a lot. I haven't listened to it, but go. Yeah, so, but I got to, I, it's great that I'm able to, like, he did all the talking points that, you, that you're that you referencing. Um, specifically, going after DeSantis, saying that the Disney thing was garbage because he had no right to do it, because his people must be incompetent if they only realize that Reedy Creek only recently enjoyed this special treatment. Otherwise, it clearly had to be vindictiveness. And if he's being vindictive and using his office to do it, he should just say so because that's pretty bad. Um, and so uh, there's a putting that like that seems so galling so, to real me fast, Dan. Because I, this guy, guy, I oh, haven't heard it. Did the ruthless guys kind of just question him? Did they press him on this stuff? Like I just I they they. It. So uh, I don't even know. You you swear on this episode, right? Or, I don't fucking care. Is that yeah, all right? Go. There you go. All right. So here's the thing. Fuck it. We're doing it they, live. They pu- ah. <laughs> well, they, they push back in the slightest possible way. It's, it's basically to show, like, DeSantis a little love. But I think they're kind of star fuckers, and I think he's one of the best guys they can get on there. Um, I, I, not I the view, best I best, view, but, like... I view it a little differently. I think that the ruthless guys are team players. I don't think it's about necessarily star fucking because, you know, you have Holmes and Duncan that are attached to Mitch McConnell, which means they can get those kinds of guests. I mean, they just have to reach out through uh, the speaker's office and they're constantly like, hey, you should go on Ruthless. It's great. And uh, I mean, more power to them for having those kinds of connections. Um, The Christie episode is interesting and I need to go listen to it. I don't listen to every episode of Ruthless. Um, And uh, in fairness, I was I think I was their second guest on that podcast. Um, and I know all of those guys, and I'm friendly with all of those guys, obviously. Um, what I would say to people that have reached out to me about this episode is the, the thing you have to realize about those guys is they are team players before they're anything else. So um, it, they, they will have people out from the team on their podcast, and, they, and that can range from Marjorie Taylor Greene to Chris Christie to you know Ron DeSantis to Nikki Haley to whatever. And so once you realize they're team players – their goal is, hey, even as fucked up as our team can be, we're still better than the other team. That's kind of how they, they they view it very much as politics is like a contact sport. And yeah. so th- their attitude is they have they have preferences about, you know, who their who the star quarterback should be. Um, but ultimately, they're like, this is the dude who's our quarterback. Let's you know, let's go. We're riding with him. And so 
that's well, how I, think... I, look, I, I look at it that way. Um, I had people note that they didn't bring up the fact that, like I said, I, I think it's a conflict of interest that Chris Christie is an ABC News contributor. He's a paid contributor. He, he signed on in 2018, and he's out here hitting Ron DeSantis on DeSantis' treatment of Disney, which is the parent company of Chris Christie's employer. And so not that's not, to me, getting enough attention, that whether or not Christie is genuine in his criticism Chris Christie is a paid employee of Disney, and that has to be said over and over again. And I guess I would look at it and say, uh, if anyone from Team DeSantis is out there listening, that to me is what you say to him on a debate stage. But I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead. No, you're fine. I think the Disney point about, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune, like, I think that that's a great point. But, and I don't like the I'm old enough meme, but I'm old enough to remember Bridgegate. And I'm old enough to remember that whole controversy, and that was literally vindictive behavior coming out of his office through the mechanism of the government. And I, I don't know how you sit across from the guy and listen to him say that it's ridiculous that somebody would ever engage in using the government for that purpose when, like, he did it for far more petty reasons. I mean, we can argue about whether or not it's, like, apples to apples. I don't know. I don't want to relitigate Bridgegate. But it's like, this is one guy who particularly stands out as somebody whose name is at least a little dirty in this space. And it's kind of weird to hear him making that claim. I think, and also along those lines is Chris Christie is exactly the kind of guy that would engage in this stuff a long time ago. You mentioned Bridgegate, um, but this is also a guy who, you know, was cracking down on, um, you know, what's the word? Teachers unions. Right. Um, and so the thing with Christie that's funny to me is he reminds me of, say, the Lincoln Project guys when they look at Ron DeSantis and it's like, this is like Rick Wilson's dream candidate. OK, this is this is a candidate that the Lincoln Project guys dreamed of having years and years ago. And I wouldn't even say a candidate. I would even say just a governor like DeSantis is the guy that they would all just be like cheerleading on 10 years ago. But because they have different investments now and they have a different audience now, they have to somehow pretend that they don't like what they see. And I also look at this and say, look, you're going to have one alternative to Donald Trump. You're not going to have six alternatives to choose from. And right now the polling says that's the alternative. I don't make the polling. I don't make I don't decide these things. But when you have, you know, Trump at 52 or 48 percent, DeSantis at 37, and then everyone else is at two, three, four, seven. And if you take away all of the else and you tack it onto DeSantis, he beats Trump head to head. That's just it. If it was Nikki Haley who was up there, I would be saying that about her. Um, so it's not even a preference. Um, and so when I look at it, I'm saying, OK, why are you going after if Donald Trump is a unique threat? This is their language, not mine. He is a unique threat to the United States Constitution and the, the foundations of our republic, uh, dating back to the Civil War. That is what they're trying to tell you while also trying to take out the one feasible alternative to him getting the GOP nomination. So you have to ask, why are you doing that? Um, and it's not saying DeSantis is above criticism or he hasn't made some missteps, but you're seeing, again, just this wave of negative media coverage, and it's happening on purpose, and it's a clear strategy. And so you saw what Matt Lewis said, which is, hey, the only way that this is going to get reformed is if we make sure Trump gets the nomination and then he loses to Biden. Yeah. How did that work in 2016? 
because unlike those guys, uh, I don't think it's prob- probable Trump beats Biden again because Trump is toxic with independent voters. Now, we don't know what's going to happen between now and Election Day of 2024. Biden is 83 fucking years old with one foot in the grave and he has applesauce for brains. So you don't know if it's a Biden-Trump election or if it's a Biden or if it's a Trump-Kamala Harris election. We don't have any clue on any of that. And so I, I'm under no illusions that this country wouldn't go, fine, just put him back in there, get the economy going, just we can deal with this. It's only four more years, just fucking do it. Um, and so I'm the guy that's sitting here saying, hey, maybe if he really is, if you really do believe that he is that unique threat to the Constitution, he really is that you know big of a deal, hey, maybe don't encourage him, but they are encouraging him. And so you have, kind of have to ask yourself why. Chris Christie to me is positioning himself similar to what he was doing against Marco Rubio, which he's basically going to just act as another attack dog for Trump, thinking that because Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump would not be part of a second Trump administration, that perhaps there is a cushy attorney general job for him in that one. And that's kind of how I look at this. Um, if push comes to shove, do I think Christie jumps in? I don't think he does, but I'm, I've been wrong about these things before. People think that they see polling, whatever. And it's like, Oh, he's, Oh yeah, we're going to jump in. I think the more sane people like Mike Pompeo, they have a moment of clarity where they look at it and say, look, I, I think I could do this job. I'd be really good at it. I would make a strong America. Uh, I would take some of these policies from Trump and I'd take some of them from Reagan and whatever. And then they get internal polls and they see that they're sitting at 2% and nobody fucking cares about Mike Pompeo. And he goes, well, this is not worth it. It's not worth it in press coverage. It's not worth it in expenses. Um, it's not, I can't fundraise the money, in which case I'm going to have to dig into my own fortune to find and, and they just look at it and go, it's not worth it. So they'll talk a good game. They'll go up and they'll talk, you know, you, guys like Larry Hogan or whatever. And they'll say, oh, I'm looking at it. You know, I'm really looking at it. No, you're not. You're not really looking at it. So you have a guy like Asia Hutchinson who announced he's in the race. What has he been doing since? <laughs> he's not out campaigning. He just literally went on, I think, Jonathan Capehart's MSNBC show and said, I'm running for president. Well, anybody can say that. I could tell you right now and call in, I'm running for president. And if I don't do shit after it, then it doesn't really matter. So I guess I look at it and I say, I don't think Christie runs. He was just supposedly spotted at a restaurant in Washington, D.C. with a lot of his old former aides. And he said, if we do this, you're all going to be brought into the fold and whatever. And I'm kind of like, who, like, what year do you think this is, Chris? So if he did it to me, he would be doing it as an attack dog for Trump to secure a job in a second Trump term. And that would be it. Um, But again, I look at him and I'm like, the emasculation of Chris Christie is just, it's one of the more fascinating narratives that's out there over the past few years that just hasn't gotten enough attention because Trump sucks up all the oxygen. But yeah, Chris Christie was Ron DeSantis back in 2010, 2011, 2012. He had Ann Coulter's endorsement. He had a lot of endorsements. It was all just like, yeah, look at this guy. And then he gave a big, great bear hug to Barack Obama over Superstorm Standy, and that was the end of it. That really was the end of his political career, as it should have been. And now he finds himself being the, the you know, the teddy bear sitting across from George Stephanopoulos uh, on ABC News. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, he did, the only other thing he did, and then I'll, I'll go because I don't want to monopolize the time, but uh, he did the whole DeSantis is Trump light, and why would you want Trump light when you could have Trump? Totally ignoring the, I think, like, the best argument is the effectiveness, right? That's the cure to that argument. 
and he didn't make it. Like, I, I couldn't help but think that he would be Trump light if he ran. So I don't even understand where that comes from. But I'll leave you there. Yeah, I, I don't see Trump light with DeSantis. And I, and I get that that's the argument being made. But when he says that, I would say, elaborate. What do you mean by that? I, I, what do you mean? Like he he hits at the media? Well, DeSantis has a better grasp of policy. And most of his criticisms of the media are you're lying about our policy. Not that, you know, you fake news or anything like that. It's that you, what you're saying is not true. Here are the facts of my policy. Uh, misconstruing this because you have a political agenda. And that's the effectiveness of DeSantis instead of, you know, Trump spraying his fire hose of personal bullshit all over the place. So I guess if I was interviewing Chris Christie, I would look at that and say, exactly what do you mean by Trump light? So Jacqueline, I know you're probably going to have opinions on your governor. Uh, good to see you again. You're, you're light. I did. I did pick against your lightning in round one, by the way. Oh, you did? I did. Okay. I took, I I took Toronto. I wasn't going to start Toronto with that. Series, but we'll see. I, I wasn't going to start with that, but I, I know, was going to bring one. it up later. I'm doing pretty good, but, though. Um, I, I, have, I have the LA Kings beating the Oilers in the first round, and not many people, people were seeing, like, are you serious? And I'm like looking at them like, there they go. Um, but it was a risk, but I did. I, I did take the Maple Leafs against their life. Well, I wasn't going to start with that. I was going to end with that. But um, you can still end with that. I was just going to go back into the Wayback Machine to April 13th when Anna Kasparian started talking about like Rebecca Jones and doing all the corrections because I don't think you really have talked about that and how much she like just went detail by detail on everything TYT got wrong. And I was like, wow, this is actually amazing that she is admitting that she got everything wrong. And I was just impressed by that and thought it was amazing that she talked about it and explicitly said for like 13 minutes what she thought about how the whole Rebecca Jones story was all bullshit. And the other interesting thing about that is uh, U.S. Florida had to retract a story that Ron DeSantis had filed to run for president, and that was based on a single source, and that source being Rebecca Jones. And that happened two to three days after Kasparian did kind of took that apart and that's a and that's instructive to show you that they don't they don't care like they just genuinely don't care where if if you're DeSantis and I would even argue if you're Trump they don't care about the credibility of the antagonist against you and we saw this with Donald Trump for four and a half years there was just these characters coming out of the woodwork left and right you have Avenatti and and uh Eugene Carroll who we learned her rape lawsuit is now being funded by a David Brock ally. And so um, it is interesting that you're right that Kasparian did that, and it's good that they do that. And that's why, if you notice, I don't talk a lot about the Young Turks because they are what they are. They're left. They're a leftist media outlet. They are full-on, you know, we believe in Bernie Sanders-style politics. 
And I'm for the most part fine with that. And that's why I don't spend a lot of time hitting progressive media unless it's to like show them that they're wrong. Like a guy like Juddlegum is just hilariously wrong in everything he does or he's dishonest in it. Um, so I generally leave a lot of that stuff alone. Um, but you're right that what she did is what journalist outlets should be doing and, and they're not doing it. And we just saw that two days after she does this thing online and it went viral. Like she trended on Twitter for like three or four days. Um, you had USA Today still using Rebecca Jones as a source. Like they don't care. You could, you could tell USA Today journals that she is just like a boiling bunny, crazy fucking lunatic with, you know, crazy sex eyes and they don't care. They still used her as a source. They still had to retract the story and they'll, and they're probably going to do it again. I would venture to say that if Ron DeSantis announces a presidential candidacy, you will see Rebecca Jones on a national news outlet sometime after he announces talking about something. And it could be MSNBC, probably not CNN because she's only been on there with Chris, Chris Cuomo with Fredo once. But some outlet will have her on. She will make some batshit lunacy claim that is too good for somebody like Joy Reid to deny. And you're right that it's a credit to Kasparian, who's obviously she's had she's she's having herself a good couple of weeks here. <laughs> she's uh, she's going to be uh, heading over the Daily Wire here before we know it. So, but um, you're right. That's one of the reasons that I didn't really address it is just because. They, they are a leftist outlet and it's good that she was honest that way. But I look at the bigger picture and I'm like, but then again, here was national media using Rebecca Jones as a source. They don't care. They don't care. And so that's, I look at, you know, not so much what the, the young Turks do. I look at the bigger picture at what somebody's doing, you know, over them. And so, but you're right. It, it is, it was a great video where she just goes down and says, look, we shouldn't have trusted this fucking psycho. And it's it's a hundred times more than anything else anyone else in me. Yeah, and and that's all I was going to say about that. And I know more people will talk about some of the other more recent things, but um, since you haven't had a call in for a while, and I didn't call into a lot because I didn't really have anything to add. But when it comes to the hockey, I was just going to say the Lightning won 7-3, and your Avalanche lost 3-1. to So how do you feel about those outcomes? Uh, game one, so I don't really care. Uh, if, if, if the Lightning beat Toronto again... And are the Lightning at home or is Toronto at home? I forgot. First one. I think the Lightning are at home. So, I mean, if you go up to... No, Tor- no Tor- Toronto's at home okay. for the first two games. Okay. So, tomorrow they're going to be still be in Toronto. Right. And then games three and four will be here. So, if the Lightning take a two... That series is over. Um, I'm not worried at all about Colorado yet. Even even if even if the Kraken take a two game lead over that, so part of I mean the problem with Colorado, so they only had four guys who played the entire year. They've just been just destroyed by injuries. They came together finally just in time at the end to win the division in the last game. 
they don't have Landeskog for the playoffs, which is a huge, huge loss. And it's a reason why I didn't pick them to make it to the Stanley Cup. And that showed last night. They don't have a second-line center. They don't have, like, a natural second-line center that can slide. So they have to bump a third-line guy up, and it shows. Um, either way, I don't know. I don't think anybody's beating Boston. As long as Boston stays healthy, I think that it's it's pretty much already written. So we'll see. Um, but if, if, you're, if you're Lightning beat Toronto two games in Toronto, then to me that series is probably over. And then you can you can rub that one in, um, but no, I I don't see Seattle beating Colorado in a seven game series. I can possibly see Dallas got the shit kicked out of them literally physically the other night, and so that'll be interesting. I actually I have Colorado going out against I have Colorado exiting against Dallas in the second round, and I have uh, Vegas and Boston in the Stanley Cup final. Okay. And, and if you didn't see it today, but the NHL just suspended Bunting for three games um, for his hit on Chernak. So, because I was watching that game, and it was a bad hit, and everyone knew it. And so the NHL suspended him for the next three games. And so Chernak and Hedman are out for the next game tomorrow, but we'll see what happens. Um, I don't count your. They're not out of their window, and as long as they have, you know, their goaltender, they're always going to be in it. So uh, we'll see. But I did, I did, I did take a risk, and I did pick uh, Toronto to beat Tampa Bay in the first round. There's always one of those two weird upsets. So I have the Kings in the West, and I have the, the Leafs in the East. So we'll see. Uh, thank you, Jacqueline. Good to, good to talk to you again. Scott, go ahead. Hey, Stephen. Uh, to uh, add to the DeSantis talk, uh, I think – I don't remember if it was in your timeline or someone else's, but I uh, saw a recent article that – the I believe it was the one of the Pensacola newspapers put a cease and desist order on Rebecca Jones for copying articles from their news site onto her own. Yep, and it was a it was, was a Florida amusing. it was a Florida uh, USA Today affiliate send cease cease and desist to DeSantis critic. And she basically just yeah, she just basically uploaded articles uh wholly to But yeah, I, I I just found that funny also because, like you said, they they just don't seem to care. Here's this woman who is just blatantly stealing. It's obvious. It has a paper trail, and they're like, meh. She had to settle uh, to avoid jail time because you have to remember how the Rebecca Jones thing started. This is what's interesting to me about Chuck Todd and Meet the Press. And he had Lucy Caldwell, who used to be – uh, NBC News Los Angeles, and now she's somehow went from that to a national uh, NBC News reporting post. And she said that DeSantis uh, has yet to handle the national media. Uh, she said on Meet the Press Sunday that he's in a bubble. He's just doing th- what happens when he meets us. And I'm thinking, 
have you guys gone completely fucking stupid over the past three years? He has literally been the face of uh, the anti-COVID stuff for three years. It wasn't Trump. And this to me is another thing where they kind of exist in their own little vacuum, which is this is largely why DeSantis sits at one or two in the GOP primaries is because he was the face of conservatives during COVID, during lockdowns. He was the guy saying, we're not doing this. I don't care. I don't care what you say. We're not going to do X, Y, Z. We're keeping schools open. I'm opening the beaches. I'm opening the businesses. That wasn't Trump. And this is largely why I I think Trump is a, a handicap with a lot of this stuff is because Trump mainly when he left office, he just kind of dropped off and he went to Mar-a-Lago and sulked. And the country changed. At least the, 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 the discussions around things changed. Now we're in a woke corporatism. Uh, we're in a medical procedures for minors who claim to, or who identify as trans discussion. And a lot of that stuff just kind of uh, passed Trump up. And so Rebecca Jones is and the, re, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is how Rebecca Jones rose to prominence, because the media was looking for any and any uh, antagonist or protagonist against Ron DeSantis. So Rebecca Jones claims that she has insider material. She worked for the Department of Health in Florida. She had insider information that Ron DeSantis is undercounting covid deaths. Wow, that sounds great. Let's get her on CNN. And that's what they did. And then they, what they found out is one, what she said isn't true because they went in and they looked at it and they went, well, no, it's not undercounting COVID deaths. You're undercounting total deaths. Two, it turns out she hacked Department of Health uh, computers as a state employee. So then they go to search her residence. They execute a search warrant and it's Ron DeSantis sending the feds in to do a raid on one of his critics. And it's just slowly gone downhill from there that every time she says something, and then she starts to go fund me for a legal thing. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse to the point of where now you finally have you now kind of have them finally going, fuck, we shouldn't have trusted this crazy broad. But again, you still have news outlets running with her as a source. Um, But yeah, USA Today Philly had to send her a cease and desist, like stop doing this. And you're right that, that it will not it will not matter. And I don't know if it's just like um, who who is the um, God. Oh, I'm having old man brain. Who was the the chick from Silicon Valley who did the blood pill? I forget her name. Uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth uh, Holmes. Yeah. Right? That to me is kind of the same thing with Rebecca Jones. She has just like this weird captivating energy that I guess the media can't resist. And it's, it's fucking crazy. Like when you and I are sitting here and we're like, this chick is stone cold sociopath. Her son was making fucking school threats. Like, I'm going to go shoot up a school, her to her to her. And she still used that as an excuse that Ron DeSantis is targeting her and her family. And national media outlets still ran with her her perspective of what happened. They still did it. Despite you and I can sit here until a blue in the fucking face going, here's instance after instance after instance after instance after instance after instance. And they will still use her. And what I mean by going back to what how DeSantis became the face of at least the political right, as far as it pertained to shutting down businesses and COVID, is they really had a hole to fill with Donald Trump because Donald Trump wasn't on Twitter. He wasn't online. He wasn't screaming at 3 a.m. Um, and so you had Biden out here implementing. He was still implementing COVID policies. You guys all remember when masks came back? 
and then he had a bad news cycle. So then it was, oh, you can get rid of the masks now, guys. It's master vaxxed. And DeSantis was the guy who was pretty much out front just saying to Biden, hey, go fuck yourself. We're not doing that down here. Um, to the point where the media made an idiot in a Grim Reaper costume a star. Like they interviewed this guy um, on national news outlets simply because he was a guy who was walking down the beach in a Grim Reaper costume saying DeSantis is killing everybody. And Rebecca Jones is very much similar to that. And that's if you want to if you want to compare DeSantis to Trump, what I'll say is I wouldn't compare them to personally. What I will say is the the feverish uh, ability to try and turn him, not so much him into Trump, but to legitimatize anyone who comes out and speaks out against him, no matter how fucking crazy they are. That is very much a media side effect of Trumpism. Um, which or Trump because Trumpism is not a thing. Um, and so that's what you saw with Donald Trump. There's Stormy Daniels, there's Michael Avenatti, there's Eugene Carroll, there's Alexander Vindman. We're getting a new character every two weeks. There's Anthony Scaramucci. There's all of the, you know, there's Alyssa Farrah Griffin. And so you have all of these people that orbit Trump. And the media is trying to kind of create that same phenomenon by promoting the Grim Reaper dude, Daniel Yolfelder, I think is his name, and now Rebecca Jones. And they're, they're basically just out here trying to create this orbit of kooky characters around DeSantis. And to his credit, he just doesn't respond to it. He's just like, I don't know who this crazy bitch is. Get out of my face. Um, and so... Yeah, not to kind of monologue, and I'll let you. I'll let you go here in a second. But um, yeah, USA Today had to send a, a cease and desist notice, even as I think one of their other affiliates in Florida was like, uh, Rebecca Jones said that Ronda DeSantis filed for, and then they had to issue a retraction. And it's like, how many times are you guys going to do this? Well, they're going. They're just going to keep doing it as long. Yeah, I. Yeah, trying to make, trying to make. To, to move the Trump matchups down to DeSantis and using Rebecca Jones is just, it's kind of sad to watch. I guarantee you Trump is going to cite her, 100%. Like, I, on, like on True Social, he's going to cite some claim she made, 100%. He's going to... I wouldn't take that bet because I, you, you're right. And uh, the only other thing I'll say is, being down here, a longtime Florida resident... Watching, watching media try to rationalize how Disney can just pack up and leave like they're a hobo carnival show might be my new favorite thing to do. It's like getting into a YouTube and Trump. video and then another one and another one at two hours. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, where'd the time go? I've just been watching these people with ever more absurd reasons. My favorite was moving it to, to Puerto Rico. Yeah, was that Keith Overman who's like, just just make Disney World Jurassic Park, like put it on an island, start raising dinosaurs? Um, I, I, I don't remember who did it, but it was just hilarious to watch. Yeah, I think it was Keith Overman who did the original, just pack up and move. Or yeah, it was it was I think it was definitely old to Puerto Rico, uh, because I even made a Jurassic Park joke about it. Like, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I think Scott accidentally dropped here. I'll just, I'm going to move him in. Um, That's right. Um, I, I've I've never been to Disney World, but I've I've talked to people who are like, it's bigger than fucking Manhattan. <laughs> like, it has like a subway or it has a rail system that goes like 35 miles, and they're just like, oh, just move it to Georgia. And I'm like, 
didn't you guys just protest Georgia's voting law? They're like, I think the latest one I saw was Atlanta. Like, move it to Atlanta. It'll revitalize the, the uh, economy there um, because it has jobs for African-Americans, whatever. And I'm kind of like, do you know how long it's going to take? Like, you, would ha- you wouldn't move it. You wouldn't just pack up and leave. You would start a new construction site and try to duplicate it or do something. Um, hold on. I'm trying to follow my own rules. Um, but no, yeah, you're right in the sense of like, they think that it's like, a, like you said, a whole circus carnival where, yeah, you just pack it up in the trucks and move it on down the highway. But that was my favorite one is when they're like, just move it to Georgia. And it's like, didn't you assholes just protest a, a baseball game in Georgia? And now you want Disney World to go there? And I mean, that's that's the that's the point of power DeSantis has is he knows Disney's not going anywhere. And so I, I do think he has to walk a fine line where if I was advising, I would say you have to prevent them from saying that you're going after Mickey Mouse and this family friendly corporation. Entertain- hey, we're just we're just making kids films. What are you coming after us for? Um, because. That, to me, is the biggest issue. And I said this on the podcast today with, you know, Mitt Romney, when he said he wants to defund PBS, they the actual Obama cut an ad saying he's going to kill Big Bird. And then Romney backed off of it. And I'm like, no, Romney should come out and said, yeah, you guys are a propaganda, you're a state funded propaganda channel that pushes a progressive agenda. And that's fine if you want to do that, but we're not going to taxpayer it. So you're not going to do that. And that's what they're trying to do with Disney and DeSantis. They're trying to say, you're just coming after Mickey Mouse. Well, no, he's actually coming after the most powerful media conglomerate on the planet. That's what Disney is. They are the most powerful media distributing conglomerate on the entire fucking planet. And you're, you're right in the sense of the physical theme park. And the other thing I loved was he kind of joked about building a prison and this is the other thing the media is doing that they did with Trump. Is It was clearly a joke. He's like, maybe I'll just build a fucking prison next to you. And now you have 30 pieces going, DeSantis last year said that he was going to fund another prison somewhere else. So he's actually – and you just roll your eyes at this shit. And it's kind of how you just know – you know what the game is. You know what the act is going on here. Um, but, yeah, I think it was Oberman who said, uh, move Disney to Puerto Rico, and now you have Trump suggesting the same thing on True Social. He's out here going, Disney's going to leave the state. They're just going to pack up and leave. Not great. And this, is this to me, is a fascinating aspect of how Trump is going after him. Trump is basically attacking him as a Democrat. He's attacking DeSantis as a Democrat would attack him. Um, that might work in the end. It, voters might just go, well, Trump is the strong one. He's the alpha male. And you see, he's just doing this. But then you're going to come down to a general election where Trump and Biden basically make the same arguments and one isn't going to be screaming about nuclear war at 3 a.m. And that's going to be all she wrote. I, Yeah, I was going to mention the prison thing. My favorite headline of that was somebody tried to say DeSantis endangering children by placing prison near Disney. And – uh, I, I had a the uh, the one. meme of why would Ron DeSantis do this didn't come from out of the blue that that came from the pandemic where they were like literally blaming him for all of this shit and that's another one yeah like what was what was the one that people he was just in New Hampshire and you had the 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 Jews against DeSantis which is a pro Palestinian Jewish group take the stage and try to protest. 
and somebody made the joke that DeSantis kicks two Jewish women out of his out of his exclusive dinner or something. And that's that, that's exactly. I know it. I, the funny, no, the funny, no, the funny thing about that New Hampshire thing, they also tried to frame that as his momentum was waning due to the paltry amount of money raised. But when you look at it, he actually had the largest yeah. uh, collection of donations in a, ever in a New Hampshire primer or and, a New Hampshire rate fundraising event. And this is why I tell people who, at least, if you want a Trump alternative, let's say you're all in for DeSantis, and you know there is this kind of there is this kind of notice me senpai uh, thing going on on Twitter, where the thing I hate is you do have you know, certain people, whatever, who are like tweeting, they use Ron DeSantis's handle in a tweet defending him. Like I can tell you based on what I know, he's not on fucking Twitter. Like he, he, he personally doesn't fucking use Twitter. So there is this kind of thing where you have Trump's backbenchers promoting shit and they're kind of in this war with DeSantis. I, I don't even say influencers. I'll just say people who agree with him. So you have, you know, like Max Nardu and you have Farad and you have A.G. Hamilton and I'm the guy over here, like I said, just tapping them, going, guys, this is pointless. They don't care. This is not where this is going to play out, okay? You're putting an emphasis on Twitter that doesn't exist 10 years ago. Um, and But you're right. So that came from Tara Palmieri of Puck News. And this was a perfect example I didn't talk about in the podcast today, where they're pushing this out there. Tara Palmieri says he hasn't sold tickets. There it goes. Uh, the interest is waning. And then a week later, it's sold out. And not only did it sell out, you're right. He brought in the largest fucking fundraising hall that any that any either candidate or person has ever brought in. And so that's kind of the point I was trying to make today is, look, there are things that are happening in reality and there's things that are happening by people in the media. And so you have to look at one. The fundraising is the number one thing. People also forget he's sitting on a war chest that is unheard of in electoral politics. It's not that he just won re-election. He is sitting on an amount of money that is absurd. And people somehow aren't reporting on this or they've just forgotten it. And so that's one of the things I try to calm people down who think that the, the race is over. It's going to be Trump and it's whatever. And yeah, it, it still might be. There is still a good chance that that's probably maybe going to happen. We'll see. I do agree that DeSantis and his team are going to have to fucking neuter Trump. You're going to have to do it. And I, and I think that they are at least going to try to do it. This isn't going to be Marco Rubio comparing penis size to hands. Okay. Um, one way or another, Trump is going to have to get off true social and he's going to have to get on a debate stage. That's the first thing. So you're right when you look at it and you say they tried to make it out to be like, there's no interest here. Oh, God. And that is Tara Palmer from Puck News, similar to what Politico is writing about, where it's just like, I don't know, man, the donor class is getting nervous. And then they cite Sarah fucking Longwell from the Bulwark, who is funded by Pierre Otemeyer who's a Democratic booster, what, the second or third largest one behind George Soros. And you just have to laugh at it. You go, this is your source. Are you even trying to make an effort here to, to show us that you're just not completely entrapped in Washington, D.C. gossip talk? So and then they go to, I think, a guy named Pefferty or, or, or Hefferty, whatever his name is, and they try to pass him off as just. Oh, donors are getting nervous. They, you know, DeSantis isn't fighting back and he's not announcing. And here's a DC donor or here's a Republican donor. 
And then you go back to it and you find out the guy is a fucking member at Mar-a-Lago who has donated millions to Donald Trump and has already endorsed Trump for the election. That's what the media is hoping. They're hoping you don't read past those details. And that's kind of what my podcast today was about. It's like, guys, take a breath and understand what they are doing here. They're doing this on purpose. They have two conflicting narratives. One is, like I said, Donald Trump cannot sniff the White House again, but we have to give him the Republican nomination. And it is a complete contradiction. And it's one that has to be put out there more and more to show people, hey, yeah, why are you working so hard against this? And so, again, not to monologue and go ahead, Scott, but you're right. Just to give people context, that was Puck News. Puck is basically Politico in D.C. So you have all of these D.C. media outlets going to a D.C.-based Sarah Longwell, who hasn't been a Republican consultant in eight years. I think she, she, I think she was a consultant on Romney's campaign, and that was it. Well, that's 11 fucking years, okay? And that is a, that's an eternity to be a consultant in uh, politics, and especially in Washington, D.C., so if you're if you're writing stories that DeSantis isn't gathering enthusiasm, and let me go to Sarah Longwell, who's literally running all over DC right now, volunteering her comments. They're not they're not just emailing her out of blue. She's out there actively going, Hey, do you want to comment for hey, I got an idea for it. Do you want to comment? And I know that for a fact based on what people have told me. And so when you see that happening, again, you have to understand that they have an agenda here. They are trying to get Trump the GOP nomination. Period. So now counter that with he, he we can't allow him near the presidency ever again because he's going to issue another coup. Well, again, now you notice that they don't believe one of two things. Either uh, they don't believe that here's here's an alternative to Trump. And no, I'm not asking political or puck news to write positive stories about DeSantis. And I think his people know that. I think it's just you guys can write whatever the fuck you want. And I don't care. You're not going to get leaks. You're not going to get tidbits from us. You're not going to get drama. And I think that that's a pretty good message, considering that Trump and his people will fucking leak a novel to Maggie Haberman if she asks for it. And so just to give context to what Scott was saying, that was Tara Palmieri from Puck News, which is just insider D.C. baseball. And then as it turns out, yeah, he raises the most money of any person that has ever spoken at that event and that's what that should tell you follow the money not what dc yep uh, i'll leave it with one more story about need to calm down i believe desantis averages about 10 million dollars raised per month to his war chest which is i think almost unheard of for a man who has never announced and I was thinking about this today of if you're some dude caveman who just woke up after a thousand years or cryogenic sleep or something like that, you would think that DeSantis has been running for president since like January. And every indication is if he's going to announce, it'll be after the spring session of the Florida legislature. Um, I, I would argue that they think and, and Scott, thank you. Good stuff. That's been running for president for four for three years because they didn't have Trump. So someone came in, they filled the vacuum. And again, when you look at DeSantis's polling, it's all organic. This is all what people saying. This was the guy who was the face of 
pushing back against Biden's policies for the last three years. It wasn't Trump. Trump's just fucking playing golf, you know, three times a day and, you know, on true social and not even really hitting Biden. And so DeSantis is polling is where it is, is because they said that this is the guy who's out here going, hey, we're not doing vaccine mandates. Um, we're not doing these things. We're not shutting down businesses. We're not shutting down beaches. Will it work? I don't know at this point. Um, but you're right. His his fundraising since then is off the charts, and it's something that doesn't get enough attention. And the reason it doesn't get enough attention is because the media is out here trying to tell you that his campaign is over before it even begins. And so you have to ask yourself, why are they doing that? Uh, Little Red, good to see you. Hello. Can you yep, hear me? you're there. Go ahead. Okay, so what I want to know is why don't just a bunch of these people running for president just say, those guys are old. They're really, really old. <laughs> I mean, Trump is younger than Biden, but it is disturbing how old the people in our government are. It's The interesting thing about this is DeSantis is 44 years old, and that is a large, that's a you know, for years, which, I mean, he's, he still could. I mean, he could very well jump in this race, lose it. And then, of course, th- you know, after eight years of Biden slash Kamala, then it's like, well, and, and Trump, who knows where he is at that point. Uh, Trump's going to run until he's dead, by the way. I hope people are prepared for that. Um, but you're right in the sense of you you look at some of these other candidates, you look at guys like Hogan, which I think he's in his late 50s, 60s, Mike Pence, etc. And I, I think that this is, you're also signaling a big danger that the media recognizes for Biden, is that Biden is extremely vulnerable in 2024, exactly for the reason you mentioned, which is it's easy for Trump and Biden to get on a stage and Trump is 78 and Biden is 83 and they're both just running into each other and making weird noises and wah, wah. And the media says in that in that instance, they're going to go with Biden. It's different if you have someone who is 44, 45, 46 years old going up against a guy who clearly has one foot in the grave and can't remember how he even arrived at the debate stage. And you have an opponent that would probably be that would do a pretty decent job of exploiting that fact without just outright saying we need someone to come out here and carbon date him. And you cannot underestimate that aspect of why they're doing what they're doing right now. They see that you, no matter if you have a GOP nominee that is not in their 70s or their 60s, I would argue even Nikki Haley would would match up pretty well against Biden because the country just looks at it and goes, look, I don't really like this dude, but I don't really want to watch my president die in front of me. Okay, we don't want to go back to, um, you know, the, uh, the the Franklin Delano Roosevelt days where you're hiding and died in his sleep and do not underestimate the idea that that could happen at any instance. We could wake up tomorrow and it could happen. Um, and so you do bring up a good point and you bring up a point that is undervalued in the sense of that is another reason why you're seeing this kind of ferociousness after a guy where they look at it and they go, not only is Trump crazy, he's also old. So if you have a 78-year-old Trump and an 83 Biden, hey, it's a toss-up. If you have a 46-year-old Ron DeSantis or even like a 53-year-old Nikki Haley or even a 48-year-old Tim Scott, 
you guys have major fucking problems. Yeah. And see the whole thing with Diane Feinstein. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. She's old. Just, and freaking Nancy Pelosi is old. Like Mitch McConnell is old. (laughs) They, all these old people, they just need to go away. I know that sounds mean. It's not mean. It, it is a genuine problem because w- when you look at technology, especially technology, you look at AI. Like this is why this is why Chuck Schumer heading up a committee to regulate AI just terrifies the shit out of me. Because do you really think that Chuck Schumer understands what AI is? Do you think Nancy Pelosi does? Do you think McConnell does? Um, do you think Biden understands what AI is? He's over here talking about. They want to regulate it, you know, to where it it, it it comes from an aspect of equity and non-discrimination. And it's like, so you want to regulate AI to follow what you want it to say. That's a big fucking problem for people that are in their 80s in this country. And so that that is another reason. That's why that's why Barack Obama was so exciting to them, because you had a, you know, a 68 year old John McCain going up against a uh, I think Obama was 44 when he ran as well. I think he's our youngest president. It's either him or Clinton by a, a, a nose or or a wiener. Um, and <laughs> so you have, you know, a younger president energizes younger people. Now, that's that's not to say DeSantis is going to get a youth vote. I don't think anybody counts on that. Um, but it is somebody who is in touch with you on an everyday life. Does does the president know how to use a fucking iPad? Does he know how to use a touchscreen phone? Uh, do, do they know what TikTok actually is? You don't have to use it, but you should know what it is, or you should at least have people around you on your staff who tells you what it is. Um, and so this has been a problem with, you know, mainly on the political right for years. It's just like, no, we're, we, we need people in office that understand how we use technology on a daily basis. I don't need my president to be hooking up, you know, a headset and playing Call of Duty on the PS5. Mm-hmm. But I would expect that he knows what that is, it's, you know, and that's I think you bring up a legitimate point. They are going to go away eventually. I mean, that's the good news is they are all going <laughs> to go away one way or the other. The They're problem is, is by the time they go away. <laughs> all of the people who are young and in charge now are going to be then in their fifties and sixties. And that's always been a problem. So before I hang up, I'm not going to make any other comments. Do you think that the only reason that Don Lemon is still employed by CNN, given all the stuff that's come out about his misogyny is because he's black and gay. And I have no more comments. I think it's part of it. I don't think that that's the majority of it. I think I, I in in a sense, I think part of it is they don't want the PR headache. Um I also think Don Lamont knows where a lot of bodies are buried at CNN and him like Fredo Cuomo would not hesitate to uh expose where those bodies are. I think that has more to do with it than it has his race or his sexuality preference. Um I would agree that CNN is a progressive network that that says, hey, if we fire a black man, it's not going to look great. This is also a network that had no problem like firing Soledad O'Brien or several like they fired a few when Jeb Zucker came in. You know, they made room for all of these people. And Soledad O'Brien was was a big one. Um, And I'm not saying they shouldn't have. She's a completely useless piece of shit. 
Um, I, I think with Don Lamont is they're trying to navigate this. They're trying to get out from under him and his contract in the most easiest way possible to the point of saying, if we have to fire him with cause. And that to me is what that Vanity Fair piece was about when they pieces like that don't get printed or published without some tacit acknowledgement from network heads. They know like journalists just don't publish a hit on someone like Don Lamont without it being fed to them from someone very powerful. And so the way I look at it is they're attempting to get out from under Don Lamont's contract with cause so they can say, we're not going to pay you your contract. This was because you were, you created a dangerous, unsafe, toxic work environment. Um, but I also think Don Lamont has a pretty good idea, like I said, of where the bodies are buried at CNN. And I think that has more to do with it than anything else. Uh, Peter, go ahead. Thanks. Great show, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, when Mar-a-Lago was searched by the FBI and the National Security Division of DOJ, they also conduct a raid on this uh, uh, African Socialist Party uh, office and the home. Now they uh, uh, filed uh, uh, formally charges uh, against uh, this uh, leftist group as a Russian agents, gov- agents of uh, Russian government. Now, uh, you think uh, cons- first question is you think the conservative conservative media, uh, like you know those who you are with, will have any interest about uh, false accusation? guilt by association kind of a national security prosecution like this? So I haven't heard of this. Um, What I'm looking at. So it says behind the FBI raids on the African people's socialist party uh, says uh, bogus charge FBI. This is from democracy now. So just, you know, I'm not reading from an unbiased source or whatever. Uh, I'm not reading from Fox News. So it says, bogus charge. FBI raids African People's Socialist Party group dismisses Russian influence claim. Uh, and I'll just read from Democracy Now. And like I said, full, full admits I hadn't heard of this. So I'm going to give you my gut reaction. It says, leaders of the African People's Socialist Party say the FBI carried out a violent raid on its properties with flash grenades and drones early Friday morning in Missouri and Florida. This is from August 10th of 2022, by the way. Uh, the Pan-Africanist group Malalago was uh, in the same month so it was the same day okay so the Pan-Africanist group has been a longtime advocate for reparations for slavery and a vocal critic of US foreign policy the raid appears to be connected to a separate indictment of a Russian man accused of using US based groups to spread Russian propaganda and tampering with US elections Uh, Then there's a video because Democracy Now! is a network. It says, we speak with, um, uh, pardon me if I fuck up this guy's name, Omali Yeshitela, chair of the African People's Socialist Party, who describes how he was zip-tied while his home was raided. He says the FBI's implication that their group was taking orders from Russians is, quote, the most ridiculous, asinine narrative. It says, quote, it's an attack on the right of black people. It said it's an attack on our struggle for the absolute total liberation of every square inch of Africa. So there, there's my basic, um, you know, just spur of the moment. Now that you mentioned this, let me go in and see what it's about. So what was your question? Are you saying the, do the, should the political right come to the defense of this again against the FBI or what, yes. was, what was your question? Yeah, exactly. Like AOC comes to the defense of uh, Paul Manafort 
when Manafort was sent to the Rikers Island prison on solitary confinement. AOC right. said this is the government's tactics to, you know, press, pressure him to, you know, whatever, you know, you know what it is. So yeah. I'm just curious as a conservative, do you care about this broad use of national security authority? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think you're I think you might be overestimating how much conservatives uh, care about or in line with the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. Actually, I'm, I do not. I actually find out so-called conservative are uh, opportunistic constitutionists. They will use constitution in their benefit. Not, I, not I think I think you're severely overestimating how much actual conservatives align with the security and surveillance state these days. Okay. Um, if, if there is one issue where I think that they have almost completely flipped upside down on, it is that security apparatus. It is the Department of Homeland Security. It is the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, when, when I read this, I'm just going to tell you from my personal point of view, when I read this, my first thing is this sure sounds like the FBI overstepped their boundaries. Now, granted, I don't know about this. This, this is, I'll go look into it. I'll read more about this to find out. Um, but I have to tell you, as someone who is also Trump skeptical, I'm not a Trump supporter. When I see the words FBI and Russia in a story, I immediately, my eyes glaze over. I'm like, I don't fucking believe you. And I got to be honest with you. I don't really care about the political alignments of the group. Now, does that mean the group's innocent? Does that mean that I, I don't know? I would have to go back and read it. But if you're asking me, just based on what I just read, you know, are, are you going to defend this the same way? No, I think you, <laughs> I, I don't I think there's one organization that is in the crosshairs of needing reform to the political right. And I think it's the Federal Bureau of Investigation, because no bureau has overstepped, not only overstepped their boundaries. And I'm not even talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about James Comey, going back to James Comey, where this was a politicized investigation. And then, of course, Trump fires James Comey. And he now becomes the, the funniest thing that happened to me. One of the funniest things over the last five years was how James, how they simultaneously blamed James Comey for Hillary Clinton losing the election while also turning him into a resistance hero when Trump fired him. And the dirtiest little secret out of Washington that you have to know is that Hillary Clinton would have fucking fired his ass, too. Um, the FBI to me has become a political tool and a political and a weaponized organization to target their perceived enemies. And I don't even see enemies of democracy. Okay. Um, they are clearly an institutionalized now politicized organization and you cannot have a, a federal law enforcement organization working off the whims of political motivations. Uh, what am I referencing? I'm referencing the infiltration of church groups uh, I'm I'm referencing the the fact that Merrick Garland told them to direct their resources to target and treat white supremacy as the number one threat in the country. When I would argue, yes, obviously white supremacist groups are a threat. We've seen that. Are they the number one security threat in the United States? I don't think anyone would agree with that when Dylan Roof wrote in his diaries that he couldn't find anybody like-minded of him in fucking Charlottesville, okay? He literally wrote about how lonely he was. He could not find a single person who thought like him. Um, and so when, when, you, when you, you know, automatically come at me with, I want you to be aware of the story, whatever, 
I'm automatically skeptical of anything that the FBI is doing, regardless of political motivations. I'm also more of a libertarian than conservative guy. So I personally think just about every government institution from the FBI to the IRS to the Department of Education needs to have their building bulldozed and raised and never arrested. I appreciate that comment. So a follow up, uh, somewhat related. So RT America closed its door and, uh, it's shortly before or after the Ukraine war. You know, considering how the U.S. national security literally can assign guilt by association these days, you think it's a wise move for a nation like Russia? They should just close all the journalist outposts here and just pack their back because they will be run up and they're put in jail by the FBI, right? Uh, I'm, uh, March 4, 2022, RT America ceased the production, lays off most of its staff. Um, I mean, RT is Russian-backed journalism. It's not, I mean, RT is the very definition of state-affiliated media, so you're not going to get me to really come to the defense of RT, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. So, in other words, if a Russian government accuse a American journalist as a U.S. government agent, it's okay for them to arrest and jail them too, right? Because I'm asking because you're a journalist. In case you no, I'm not a journalist. Don't use that slur with me. Okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you worked for uh, Washington Examiner. I'm a I'm a commentary writer. I'm paid for my opinion. I'm I'm not somebody who practices the deceptive art of journalism. My job is to be as honest and upfront as possible, which is the exact opposite of journalism. Got it. Okay, fair enough. But uh, still, if you could offer your comment, I'll hang up. Basically, you know, is it okay for the Russian government to assign guilt by association and jail U.S. journalists? Thank you, sir. Um, I guess I'm looking at this thing going, and, and thank you. I appreciate the comment. I'm looking at this, and I'm saying, um, what, where, where has the United States government arrested RT journalists? I mean, maybe they have, and I'm missing it, but I haven't heard that. Um, as far as this Wall Street journalist who's arrested, I'm going to I'm going to give you my very unique take on this. Is that um, I, I don't think that UK is a spy or anything like that. I, I genuinely think here's Russia exercising its authority over a journalist because they just gave up a high value target to the Biden administration in Brittany Griner. And now Russia sees it and they can do it again. And it is absolutely why you don't fucking do what the Biden administration did that. And this is the funniest thing about where you see journalists coming to this guy's defense and oh, you're jailing an innocent journalist. Yeah, motherfucker. Since Joe Biden has been president, Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine. He has detained uh, an American celebrity named Brittany Griner, which that's what she is. He's a basketball player. Then they traded the fucking <laughs> the, the merchant of death for a basketball player. A fucking basketball player over a pot charge. So now Russia says, hey, maybe we'll detain somebody of higher value, an American journalist. And what has Biden done? Nothing. Nothing. While journalists cover for him and his administration, they still go into the White House briefing room. And I don't think that Karine Jean-Pierre has been asked more than three questions about this dude from the Wall Street, from the Wall Street Journal reporter. That, to me, is how I look at this. I look at this and I just go, 
you, the Biden administration is maybe the most divisive, weakest administration I've ever seen in my life. And you know what? And I get that that's hyperbole. And I get that you hear a lot. Obama's no. I was just I was just talking with someone. I'm like, but I think the Biden administration just in this last month has done more damage to this country as far as we're prosecuting political opponents now. Now we're giving up the merchant of death for basketball players in the name of equity. And you see Pete Buttigieg on TV going, hey, the highways are racist. And I, I have never seen it like this. And so you have this Wall Street report, Junior, and what Peter's saying, adver- you know, you know, adversely so, is that, hey, you know, RT America closed up. You know, are we not allowed to do the same? Well, no, I'm not going to defend RT America. It's a, it's a Russian propaganda outlet. If they asked me to come on, I would turn them down. So now you have a Wall Street Journal reporter who's being detained on espionage charges. Clearly, at least uh, everything says that this is he's not uh, a U.S. spy. I mean, he might. I don't know. But he clearly doesn't. They haven't been able to prove that he is yet. And the and the Biden administration has not even been pressed about it by any single fucking person in the media. Jim Acosta, not there. Jim Asciutto, not there. Jake Tapper, they'll do their tweets. They'll do their standby Evan tweets and stuff like that. But. Are they not aware that you have Joe Biden on Twitter going, I'm the only one who stood toe-to-toe with Putin, and therefore I'm the only one who can take him on. And since then, Putin's reinvaded Ukraine, and he's kidnapping American journalists. And he's charging him. And the Biden administration doesn't have shit to say. Joe Biden, we haven't heard from him in three days since he got back from Ireland. And so people know, if you know it on Twitter, whenever I see journalists outraged at this guy's detention – I just post the tweet from Joe Biden saying he's the only guy who's ever gone toe to toe with Vladimir Putin. Where is their moral righteousness? Where is their righteous outrage at the Biden administration? Like American journalists are just being taken into custody in Russia and they have nothing to say other than Karine Jean-Pierre issuing a slight reparation statement about we stand against this and this is this. And that is my point. I guess that's what I would say to all of this is that. Um, I, I'm not going to defend RT. RT is a Russian propaganda state-affiliated outfit. They're, they're actually the ones that deserve the tag on, on Twitter. And as far as uh, Evan Yukavich goes, um, this is the price you pay when the Biden administration needs a fast equity win. They got Brittany Griner. They traded the merchant of death because they needed to get the lesbian, the, the black lesbian back home. And, and what did they do? They left Paul Whelan, who has been there longer, and now Russia has now detained an American journalist. What do you think the price is for him if the price for Brittany Griner was the merchant of death? Um, it's pretty enraging, I guess, that I care more about this dude than his fellow journalists because they're willing to go to the bat for Joe Biden and his administration while Putin is just like snapping their colleagues off the street. And so that's kind of how I look at that. Peter, thank you. Uh, Larry, go ahead. Bring us home. Hey, Stephen. Uh, sorry, I missed the first 50 minutes or so. So sorry if uh, you already went over any of this. Anyways, we talked quick... about don't say gay. <laughs> yeah. So I have a quick observation. I just want to see if you have any thoughts on and then I have a question. And then I'm going to hang out because I'm uh, rocking a baby to sleep and he might spaz out at any minute. Anyway, so observation. I think you talked about it a little bit on the podcast today with the uh, <laughs> the New York Times um, journalist specifically sort of doing uh, a LARP campaign on Twitter talking about, you know, how easy it would be for, for Disney to move. And, you know, I think they're talking about Puerto Rico and talking themselves into Atlanta, forgetting, you know, it's Jim Crow 2.0. So one, I want to see if you have any thoughts on that. And two, I know famously the White House um, called the lid 
at 9 a.m. on Monday after uh, Biden's Irish vacation yeah. and beach he weekend. He needed a vacation. He but needed I'm a vacation from his yeah. vacation. Yeah, and so what I'm wondering is, has anyone in that White House press room, I mean, maybe Ducey did it, I don't know, but has, has anyone pressed Karine Jean-Pierre on the things that came from the Ukraine uh, leak, you know, specifically whether, you know, if there's uh, U.S. Special Forces on the ground or, um, you know, things about them not planning any sort of, you know, peace deals, you know, through the, the rest of 2023 or anything like that? Uh, the only thing that's been pressed from, I will say that the, she has not been pressed on it because, again, this was, this is a leak that hurts a good war cause uh, because the Ukrainian war is something that is a pro-Joe Biden war, and therefore the leak is bad. The leaker must be arrested, and we must reframe everything that was sent out in the leak. So to answer your second question, no, she has not really been pressed on it. Um, I think it was Kirby or even Blinken that said that um, as far as any military presence in Ukraine, they are they are uh, there to guard embassies and to act as liaisons for embassy staff. Um, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I don't know if they're using contractors like, say, Benghazi, or if they are actually using special forces operators, because that was the tag in the in the in the documents. These were special oper- these were special operation operators or special forces operators, rather. And so. To me, are those the guys you're sending to guard embassies? Are you really sending the, you know, the Delta squad out there to go and guard embassies or Navy SEALs? I don't know. Um, So, no, she has not been pressed on that. And like I said, I did talk earlier about how uh, this kid was arrested. The New York Times and the Washington Post identified him by name. And then within three hours, uh, there was a tactical unit as a house. And as I said, if you think that somehow... The Justice Department, the feds and the FBI. There you go, Peter, the FBI again. Um, If you somehow think that they just got a tip from The New York Times and then in three hours strapped on their fucking Velcro and dip and said, hey, let's go get this kid. uh, You haven't been paying attention to the relationship right now between journalists and and the uh, intelligence apparatus. And so they basically helped identify this kid. This kid is going to go to jail for a very long time and I'm not defending him. I mean, he did something really stupid and risky and now he's going to pay the price for it. But you do have journalists now reframing the issue as though it's their story. Now exclusive. Here's what's in these documents. And here it is. Russian forces have caused a lot more casualties. And so they're taking what's in these leaks. They're not letting you see them like seeing them for what they are. And they're now reframing it around it to show you uh, again, how noble a cause the Ukraine war is. That said, I I think Putin has to be defeated in Ukraine. I think he has to get the shit kicked out of him and and tuck his tail back to fucking Moscow. The question becomes how much of our involvement has to be, you know, reprimanded to that kind of cause. And I think that that's the question. And so, no, she has not been asked about it because, for the most part, journalists agree that that kid has to go rot in jail and that these leaks were very, very bad. Um, As far as the first what was what was the other one that you said, you know, oh, we talked about Disney in Puerto Rico. Yeah, we did. We did talk about Disney Puerto Rico uh, with Scott, who lives down there. And, yeah, Keith Olbermann wanting to basically make Disney into. Yeah, it was just kind of funny that they're, they're talking did about the, it. You did, know, the New York Times, Car- did the New York Times actually do a story on this? I hadn't seen this. 
it wasn't a story, but on Twitter yesterday, I think there was two people, I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but two of them, I mean, I, I clicked on their profile just to make sure, and they, it said that they were, you know, with the New York Times. But anyways, they had two separate threads about, um, you know, how Disney should move to Puerto Rico, and it's just, they, they were, them and their, the people that, that were following them, they were just talking about it, like the logistics are similar to like a handful of carnies breaking down a county fair or something as opposed to, you know, someone, believe it or not, billion dollar believe it or operation not, or whatever. Someone, someone earlier when you weren't here, used that exact example that this is like the carny circus just packing up and they can just go to the next town over. Um, and, and they don't realize the absolute size of, uh, uh, of Disney. And that's what, that's what I think someone said. Like, let's say they even did it. I think Disney is bigger than Puerto Rico, like it would take up three fourths of that island, and they don't have the resources. I mean, f- put everything else aside. But yeah, you're looking at, hey, you're you're looking at people who one don't visit Florida, two don't visit Disney World. Um, it's basically Keith Olbermann doing it in the bathroom at the restaurant that he works at, uh, recording his little video. And again, the funniest thing is, is that Trump just jumped headlong into that, and Trump's like, well, Disney World's going to move now too. So that should tell you something when Trump decides to start picking up, you know, arguments that he sees based on what he sees on Twitter. Yeah. Also, I would lo- I would love to be a fly on the wall that shareholder meeting at uh, Disney when they they bring they bring uh, they bring that up. You know, moving to Puerto Rico, you know, fifty billion or whatever we're talking about. You know, a small island in the middle of the Caribbean. You know, Hurricane Alley. That would be that would be hilarious to to see. Yeah, and they're going to have to build their own airline which is most likely going to have to be based out of Florida or Texas. So good luck with that one, guys. So, yeah. Um, and Larry, Larry, thanks for that. So uh, this has been uh, episode 97, Full Court Press. Ha ha, double, double meaning name. Uh, this was a good one. Thanks again to callers. Uh, it was good to just kind of hit a faster pace. So, again, I appreciate you guys doing that. Thanks again to listeners. Um, I'm going to do this again Friday um, just because it's been so long and uh, I know I get kind of a different audience. So I'll be back here Friday to do an, uh, to do another one of these episodes where I think that'll be episode 98. We're almost at a hundred of these and I've been doing this for just about over a year now. And uh, I, I, for the most part, enjoy it and I enjoy talking to you guys and I love seeing new people and even the, the filthy fucking Canadians in the comments to uh, too cowardice to come and jump in the call in queue, but that's Canada for you. So there you go. So once again, thanks guys. Have a good night. I will be back on Substack tomorrow as well as Saturday to make up for my sick day then. So be sure to leave comments over there. Um, as you know, I do read uh, some on the podcast. I try to bring you guys into it a door and it just makes it more interesting to me. So again, thanks everyone. Have a good night. I will see you back on Substack tomorrow and most likely back here on Friday. Cheers. Thanks guys.